Hi, I'm Tina Spangler with TLC Barrows and welcome to my podcast. Today I want to talk about the influences in my life and all the mentors that I have had from different trainers and people in my life as well as the horses that have taught me so much. When I was um, just a young girl, eight years old, I want to give a shout out to um, Candida. She gave me so much confidence because she was already a finished games Welsh pony. She knew all the events and she just went out there and did it for me and I knew nothing. But she made me feel like I knew everything because we won blue ribbons every weekend and trophies and bags of feed and all of that. It wasn't until I got a little three-year-old named Snowdoll, POA, that I realized how little I actually knew. So my mom sent me to Martha Roper. And Martha Roper in Norco, California, a little horse town that had trails instead of sidewalks, I would ride my Welsh pony there and my mom would follow me in her car or in her, her truck. And she only lived three or four blocks down from 4th Street to, I think, 6th Street. And um, anyways, I'd ride there and she'd have me work on circles the whole time I was there. And then I'd ride home. So my warm up was riding there and my cool down was riding back. And I'd work on perfect circles, it seemed like, the whole time I was there with Miss Martha. So Miss Martha really taught me the value of horsemanship. Her horses, even at the speed shows, they would walk in on a loose rein, win their event, walk back out on a loose rein. Her and her son, rolling and we would stop at the little fruit market on the ride home from some of our shows and get our candy and our fruit and it was always just a great memory as a child then as I became an adult um, I would say Martha Josie was the first clinic I went to as an adult with my girl Callie and Callie she was truly gritty and had so much try I bought her as a five-year-old and she'd already had two foals on her side because she was a halter champion paint horse with Sunny D. Barr and Skipper W. Bloodlines and they just made her a baby making factory and I truly feel that when she was a baby having all those babies took so much of the nutrition that she needed and that's probably why she retired at 15 years old where my other horses lasted much longer um, you know till they were 20 or so, Um, but anyways, uh, Callie was just an amazing horse, she was green broke, and she was my first horse I would train as an adult, I trained many when I lived with my mom in my teen years, but my first professional horse as an adult when I knew I wanted TLC to be my goal and dream someday, so um, she was awesome though she ended up in the top five of the novice horse program for me and with the Colorado Barrel Racers Association when I moved to Colorado after getting married in the early 90s and um, anyways Martha Josie was um, instrumental in teaching me the value of driving with your feet in your turns because of Callie being such a um, push horse she would kind of not keep you know really moving like Bozo does with Christy Peterson in the turn so the more fire I got out of her and the more I kept driving her sitting up and driving her through the 
turns, not over her withers, but just sitting in the middle of her and smooching and using my feet to keep her moving, um, the better she did. So she was so consistent. She had beautiful runs and, um, I really appreciated that from the Martha clinic. Um, so then, uh, you know, I just would continue on with training horses and along came my horse named, uh, Cash and Cash was huge. Callie was only 15 hands and Cash was like 16 one. Well, Cash, he, um, he was a horse that taught me when things are not going right, you need to back off and slow down. Because he was 16-1 and he was a young gelding, it seemed like it took him longer to mature than Callie. So I went to an Ed Wright clinic and I told Ed of my issues and he said, what did you do to fix it? And I said, well, I slowed down. And he immediately said to the clinic, um, the class, did you all hear that? And um, that's what you have to do. When things go wrong, you need to slow down and get it right again when you start having mistakes. So I think that was something that just always stuck out in my head. And in addition, he was my first with um, a lot of different drills that gave me ideas of why the drills are so important to get your horse off the exact pattern and get him more focused on you and the communication between you and your horse. So, um, so that was really valuable to me. Um, the next was Lynn Brown. She, rest in peace, passed away a year or two ago um, with cancer, sadly. But she was a WPRA friend of mine in Colorado. And she was, you know, a rough or gruff kind of coach. And she would say, you've got the horsepower now. Just step up your riding. And she would make me get geared up, make me get mad at myself and be like, you know what? You're right. My horses can do this. I need to step it up. And just small things like giving them more rain or smooching or, or, you know, just that little extra fire, um, really helped me. She was also the one that gave me a tip for my horse buddy. Um, many years later that if they're not raiding that first barrel to go up there and stop at your rate spot where the tracks cross, roll back away and then go back to the alleyway and then repeat it at a walk, trot, and a lope until they stop on a loose rein at the tracks cross. And then when they finally do, just walk the rest of the pattern. But um, but that was a tip that came in very handy with free running horses that did not want to rate that first barrel over the years. It kind of ties in with the Clinton Anderson of making the wrong thing difficult and the right thing easy. Tom Doran's all the natural horsemanship out there. But um, anyways, uh, after, uh, after talking about Ed and Lynn, I'd like to talk about Carol Ellis. She was a, uh, a wonderful coach and a clinician. She still is in Colorado. And um, I remember having a push horse when I went to her clinic. And we ran a lot of buildings, small indoor pins. And she taught me the value of riding fence to fence on horses that start to get scotchy and anticipate um, their turns. You know, she would have us ride our horses at a walk and a trot and a lope in a straight line from fence to fence in her little indoor building. And um, riding square fence to fence really made me learn not to focus on the barrel, but focus on getting in the hole. 
and um, that was something that stuck with me since the 90s. And, um, you know, in Florida, you don't run a lot of buildings, but you can still have horses that get anticipating, and that fence-to-fence drill really comes in handy. Um, And overall, she's just a really great horse person, rides quiet, and just someone that I learned a lot from just watching how she worked with horses. Very quiet rider, but always winning. Um, So uh, the next person I'd like to talk about is John Lyons. Um, I just feel like you cannot be a successful barrel racer without knowing horsemanship and how to communicate with a horse. And John Lyons taught me the value of communication through cues. Connecting to your horse, you know, these are all in my Colorado days. Connecting to your horse through cues, calming cues, the value of face flexing, the value of knowing hoof placement, knowing that um, with my mind and my hand and my rein, I could connect to literally a foot. I want to move the right foot one step to the to the right or the right foot, right front one step to the left. I mean, that that far of a connection and how to get that accomplished. And I will always thank John Lyons for that, his videos and his books. And I'd run out and try it. And I'd take the, the books with me or watch the video and run out and saddle my horse. And I was very excited to try the things that he would suggest. You know, and um, it was just a really important time for me. Uh, Becky Carson, while I was in Colorado, um, made it to the NFR, but was also successful in the reining. And she taught me the value of a broke, broke, and I mean more broke, fancy broke uh, horse with the value of foundation. Um, you know, it's just, you know, being able to do different circles at different speeds and having that cadence and rhythm. So she was really important to me, and she was probably the next step for me and Callie. The year I went to her clinic, Callie and I got in the 1D for our first time because she was consistently the bozo of the 2D world, but we ended up being in the top 10 at um, Colorado State Finals in one go-around, and it was the year that I had gone to her clinic. Um, So that was really just things like that, the value of foundation and perfect circles at every speed and every size. Um, Christy Peterson, love her, um, attended, talked to her a lot, but attended her, um, uh, you know, we'd see her at barrel races and such, and she's just such a humble lady, um, but attended a WPRA clinic she was doing, and um, she just funny with her and Bozo were a little bit different than some. Um, she did talk about how, you know, when you go to the horn early and you get those real pretty little round four wheel drive turns, that's pretty, but that won't get you far in rodeo ground. Um, and the value of standing your horse up and riding two hands in trashy rodeo ground. She taught me that as well as <clears throat> that on a certain horses like him that are already super collected, and want to really turn a barrel tight and could hit a barrel if you let them, you know, lose forward motion. She taught me the value of switching your legs up. So most people's scissor legs would be inside leg front cinch, outside leg back cinch. But for Bozo, she would ride 
inside leg in the back cinch, almost like kicking his hip out because he was so collected and she wanted to keep him moving forward. So she would have her inside leg and the back cinch going in to keep him moving. And then she would have her outside leg by the front cinch to straighten him up when they were leaving the barrel after they left. So um, that just worked for her and Bozo. So it's just interesting to see what helps with who. And of course, Kelly Yates, um, also I took private lessons with her and she was at this WPRA clinic as well. And um, she was really into the vertical face flexing. She felt like you really had had to have a horse soft vertically. And I will say that that is so important to be at that level that they are at because 90% of people that come to my clinics do not have vertical face and um, and that's all part of having a horse that understands giving to pressure it has to start in the face you know that's part of the fancy broke Um, the other thing she taught me is the certain horses those really athletic push horses like Fiesta how they could get their rate and their turn all when your leg gets to the barrel that's not going to happen on most young horses. It's definitely not going to happen on the free runner. But those occasional horses like a Firewater Fiesta can get up there and rate and turn at spot one. Um, and how much time that can shave you when you get your rate and your pivot all at that one spot. It's just more of a one smooth motion. And again, it takes a very talented horse to do that. But it was definitely an eye-opening thing to watch her do that with Fiesta. So um, the other one is Kelly Conrado. Uh, You may know his name from Colorado. If you don't, you know it from the NFR with his daughter, Ivy. When they were little, I took some private lessons with Kelly. And um, one weekend, they needed a couple's weekend. They left all three of their kids with me. And uh, I babysat them. Ivy probably doesn't remember. They were all so little. But what Kelly taught me was the up-down drill. And I forget the maturity trainer he learned it from she was up from Florida I think I'll think of her name one day she passed away I believe of cancer but she was a top fraturity person and this up down drill was really instrumental to me to feeling my horse reach with their shoulders and push off with their hip and he also taught me a drill with a big circle into a small circle and getting that fluidity and that cadence with your horse as those are both a warm-up drill that I did quite often before um, competition and also in um, my daily work at home my conditioning and tune-up work so it's just amazing um, how in sync you can come become with your horse by feeling how your cues can fill a horse reach and your cues can fill a horse set and that was just a valuable thing that I learned from him Sherry Survey, um, one of my favorites, of course, um, and uh, was so excited when I watched her video and saw that we did things so much uh, alike. I always rode my horses square up into the rate spot, even to spot one, and then from spot one to spot three, I always got that lateral flexion, and so does she, and that just made me really happy to see that um, here's this you know, million dollar cowgirl who's been to the NFR a zillion times with Hawk and Thunder and Stingray and can get on 10 horses and ride them all in the 1D, um, was training and tuning on the pattern the way that I did. That made me happy to see. Um, so 
uh, and then in the early 2000s, I remember going to Clinton Anderson had his very first clinic here. They were free back then. He was newly from Australia and getting himself marketing, was selling his DVDs and his halters and his ropes and his um, whips and sticks and all that stuff. And I went and I was in awe of the relationship he had with his horse. I think her name was Molly. Um, but anyways, it was just, um, you know, that whole horsemanship, you know, where you make the wrong thing difficult and the right thing easy and really getting that groundwork solid, getting the lunging for respect on the ground, getting the uh, suppleness and the maneuvers um body collection and suppleness all before you worry about pattern and maneuvers and that really um, pushed into my brain even deeper the value of your foundation because without suppleness and body collection the maneuvers are not going to be as easy they're going to be impossible as is adding speed to the pattern so I'll always appreciate him for that wiggle wiggle wave wiggle wiggle wave whack that's what it was (laughs) So, I'm kidding. I think it was Wiggle, Wade, Whack. Anyways, so Tom Dorrance, um, the king of all natural horsemen, I guess. I loved his book. Um, I loved a story I read once about him and Buck, and Buck was having trouble getting a horse to do a sliding stop. So, he called Tom and asked him what bit would get this horse to woe better. And Tom said, a bit more knowledge. And I must use that quote all the time because... Bits don't fix horses. Bits are just whatever you're comfortable in, whatever your horse is comfortable in. But Tom had told Buck to go spend time working on his hindquarters, getting him to yield his hindquarters, you know, disengage his hindquarters, put his hindquarters in, out, whatever. Just work on his hindquarters. And sure enough, um, Buck thought the old man was losing it, but he went and played around with his horse. And the next time he was uh, loping, asked his horse to woe, he did a sliding stop. So again, that comes down to being fancy broke and having buttons, and that story always stuck in my mind. Uh, if you ever get a chance to read Tom Doran's book or a buck, you would love it. Um, anyways, so uh, Charmaine James, of course, has to be on my list. Um, I'd watched her for many years, obviously, like everybody else, competing every year with Scamper and getting to the NFR. She was always quiet and You never heard of her giving advice or clinics. And finally, one day, she came to Florida for her very first clinic. And um, I went with a couple of clients of mine. And um, there wasn't a whole lot in the first clinic that she explained in a lot of detail. You know, my notes with my horse, Belle, which we placed, I think, second in her jackpot. But it would just say, like, be smooth. Which, you know, in hindsight makes sense because... I was pretty intense and Belle was pretty intense, but that's how we were when we competed. We'd get pretty intense, but she just wanted us to be a little bit smoother and she rode her. I, I think I got 20 minutes with her of the whole clinic, but um, she rode her and, and she made her look so quiet and relaxed because she was so quiet and she was so relaxed. She's obviously an amazing horseman. Um, one thing I noticed she must have said to there was like 20, 20 students, so you, you observed a lot. So I, I think she, probably 18 of them, she told them to stop looking down the horse's neck and to sit in the turns. So it's really sad how many people go into the barrels before the barrel looking down the inside of their neck. 
and not sitting in their turns. So that was the most common denominator that I saw at her clinic. Um, and that she had to yell at people, or not yell, but correct people the entire time over and over and over on that. So so that was quite eye-opening. Um, but I will tell you this, her book blew me away. I didn't really understand her program at the clinic, maybe because it was her first one, but when she came out with her book and she talked about her transition area and her access points, I totally understood her program after that. So that was really cool. But I guess I'm telling you all of this because every person that you'll meet, you can learn something from. You may not ever use it in your program, but then again, you might. You can learn from everyone you meet, good or bad. You can go to a Bowers and see things that you do not like and you would never do. Um, But then you could pick up something that really works for you. So always be learning, reading books, watching videos, auditing clinics, you know, going to lessons, getting coached. You don't have to do everything. And by all means, please don't switch your horse up every week with a different style or bit. All it does is confuse them. Remember, horses love consistency and repetition. And they need to know, you know, what their cues mean to them. So if you're constantly changing, they're going to end up frustrated too. So while you're learning doesn't mean you have to try everything you learn on your horse. Just kind of put it in your little toolbox and maybe you'll use it someday. Maybe you won't. <clears throat> but I talked a little bit about the horses in my life. I talked about Candida and Callie and Cash. But um, I want to talk about Belle. I bought her as a three-year-old out of Texas and she was the most talented, uh, sensitive, smart filly I've ever met. At three years old, She could literally do flying lead changes in a straight line. She was that smart. But she was also extremely emotional and extremely hard trying. When she did something, she gave it 100%. So she taught me a lot about high-maintenance horses emotionally and physically. And not to take advantage of that that try and to limit how, how and when I ran her. And to do a lot of quiet and slow work during the week and trail riding is very important. A horse like Belle, many people would have just sold her because she was so much high maintenance physically and emotionally. If she didn't feel good, she was going to take it out on your knee on the barrels. You were going to hit a barrel and it was going to hurt. So I got where I wouldn't run her without uh, shin guards because of her rollback style. And if she just didn't feel good, it was going to show up in the pattern. And you didn't always know until then. So, but I love that mare. And most people would have probably gave up on her because she wasn't the easiest to ride. You had to have impeccable timing with her. If you sat too soon, she'd hit. If you sat too late, she'd stall. And you had to do a lot of flex and fluidity work during the week um, to keep her soft and supple. But she was, she's my girl. I still have her today. She's 23. I bought her when she was three. I love her. I retired her because she'd still go out there at 20 and try to be 1D, and then she'd sore herself up. She didn't know how to go out there and just be a 3D or 4D horse. She always tried to give 100%, but she wouldn't back off, and I just couldn't couldn't handle her hurting herself. That wouldn't 
make me too sad. If she would just let me ease her through 3D or 4D, that'd be one thing, but she just tried too hard. And then there's Briscoe. Briscoe, I got a three as well from Texas. And um, Patty Roberts had gone to see Kelly Kaminsky at the Houston Rodeo. And Kelly's next door neighbor was selling her, and I asked Patty to bring her home for me. When Patty left, I told her uh, if she found a two or three year old for a couple thousand dollars with barrel racing bloodlines while she was out there to haul her home for me. And Patty kind of just laughed and said, I doubt I'll find something like that. But sure enough, it must have been meant to be because she did, and she brought her home. But boy, was she buck wild. I bought her off her picture and her pedigree and a vet check in Texas. And, um, she bucked with the saddle for a good 30 days when she got home. She was wild child. I had to take a really long time with her. Had she been a client's horse, I probably would have sent her home. But she was mine, bought, bought, signed, sealed. And um, I just took my time desensitizing her and getting her trust. And she's, I would say, truly my heart horse. Um, probably because I had to work so hard to build my relationship with her and to get her trust. And while that mare is a wild child outside the arena, she gives her all every single time on that pattern. <coughs> and she gives the same pattern every time. I just love her. Um, Buddy was a horse I bought when I was in Louisiana, moving from Colorado to Florida. And um, Buddy at the time was a rope horse. But he had also been a racehorse. He had raced... Belle was a racehorse, too. She ran three races, one, two. But she was only three when I got her. So it wasn't, like, ingrained into her head. She wasn't very broke, so I had to do all that with her. You know, but she wasn't, like, a total rehab racehorse. She just needed a, a year of basics, you know, and a lot of slow work. But Buddy... He was older. I brought him because I thought I could bring him along faster than Belle because of his age. But he ended up taking longer because of his, his start in life. He ran 24 races and he won 12 of them. But instead of getting sold to someone who would decompress him off two years as a stallion and on the racetrack, he was now a gelding and in the hands of ropers. So the ropers, to teach him to rate the cattle and team roping, they would bleed his nose with really heavy duty tie downs and, and try to teach him to rate cattle with um, pain. So poor buddy, he just never got a good start. He had a couple of rough ropers and finally the third roper was a little bit more of a horseman and worked more on scoring buddy and getting him a little bit more solid. But but sadly, with all buddy's speed and talent, he was easy jet and jet deck and um, moon deck, top moon, all that talent. He would never be a 1D or 2D solid horse because even though he had the motor, he didn't have the brain because of his foundation. It made me sad, but then it turned out to be the best thing ever because he ended up being a pony horse for me. He must have ponied 100 colts for me that I started under saddle. He also became my son's rope horse when my son got in high school. So Buddy lived to be 31 years old and definitely earned his keep as my all-around farm horse. So then came um, Maggie. Maggie was non-stop jet. She's Rocky's mama. And um, Maggie came to me as a client's horse for training. She had alley issues and she was 3D and they wanted her for their, um, I think she was 
junior high and high school age daughter to compete on. Well, poor Maggie was a futurity horse, but she was only like 3D in Georgia futurities. I think she was a late bloomer. And um, then she got in the hands of some junior rodeo people that if they had a bad run on her, they'd run the bejeebies out of her at home afterwards. So she was pretty blown up by the time I got her. And I don't think anybody believed in her, but I did. So with a lot of TLC, she got walking in the alleyway calm and started clocking in the 1D with 100 people at MBHAs and then over 200 people at Tour Champions. And um, Maggie was fun. She was a push horse. The more you sent her from the alleyway, the better she did. And then came little sister. She was Martha Six Moons and Good Time and Hank. She's the smaller of my horses, but she um, was awesome. She was only 15 hands, but turned out did amazing her fraternity and derby year with her champions into 1D reserve champion both years as fraternity and derby. But then as time went on, she ended up being my favorite horse, my go-to horse to work cattle, to go on um, trail rides for lessons, for clinics, to pony Rocky off of. Um, so you just never know what the value of a horse or what they're going to teach you. And then, of course, in the last, I guess, oh, 20 years, maybe, well, longer, but um, at least 19 years in Florida, all the clients' horses have taught me so much. Some are natural 1D horses. Some are really late bloomers. Some you could tell right away I'd have been training 30 days and I'm like, this horse totally has the potential to be 1D. They were just natural and athletic and quick and smart. And then there were some that were very slow bloomers ended up taking years to get to their peak, but they did. And just keep that in mind. Some horses mature slower physically and mentally. Um, And then also came across a lot of horses with baggage and those horses took at least three times longer to fix than if you would have fixed them or did it right from the beginning. Some of them you could never fix. You just had to accept where you were at with them and they were always going to have some baggage and, you know, pick your battles. Um, Oh, of course, all the horses over the years, probably 15 horses, 1500 horses and riders just taught me the value of foundation And, um, you know, if you have a solid foundation, it makes a pattern and competing easy. If you don't, it definitely is not. So, um, I guess I want to finish this off by saying, and I've been rattling on for 30 minutes here. I want to finish this off by saying that good horses are made and are made by people putting some time into them and they make good trainers. But great horses make great trainers, sometimes just because they're natural, but sometimes because someone's put a lot of time into them. So don't necessarily give up on a horse if they're not a natural. Just keep working at making them good. Keep working on making them great. You know, horses teach us more than people probably, but you can learn, like I said, every day forever horsemanship is a never-ending thing and um, it's good to go to different trainers and different clinics and all of that just be honest with if you have a coach that you're working with that's the only thing that's ever hurt me in all the years I've done this is people lying to my face about it you know you spend all this time working with them every week hard 
and and then they lie to you about going other places and there's no reason to lie because if they would just tell you they are there's no big deal about that it's okay to go get advice somewhere else but why lie about it so whenever somebody comes to me and they say I work with so-and-so but please don't tell them I say you know what you really should tell them because that's happened to me many times people ask me to not tell other people they're working with me or they or even just one WPRA people don't want you to know and I don't mind that at all like if you want to come to me for a lesson and don't tell anybody that's fine no problem or you want to ask me advice no problem you don't want no one to know no problem but making me lie or you lie to your trainer or your coach that's not good they would rather you be open with them. So I'm going to leave it there that honesty is the best policy when it comes to working with your coach and, um, and just in general in life. So anyhow, um, thank you for tuning in and as always ride with heart.